Welcome to Face Your Faith with West Kenyon. It is our hope that today's study will encourage you to grow deeply in your relationship with God as we study the Word together. Now let's join West for today's study. This week our topic is on heaven and what God has to say about it and the promises it holds for those who end up there. So let's jump right in and take a look at what can be expected when those who have trusted in Jesus as Lord and Savior will experience and how those in heaven will spend eternity. If you have not already done so, I encourage you to take a listen to the message on hell, which is a complement to this study, and it can be found on your favorite podcast channel or on our website at faceyourfaith.com. And now on to heaven, and we are going to begin in God's Word and look at the ever so famous John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. While this is probably one of the most quoted scripture verses of all time, it is the case because it is the core of everything anyone ever needs to know and accept in order for God to accept us as legitimate children of his. But this passage does not tell us anything about why one would need a relationship with God in the first place. Believers often think if they run around quoting random scripture verses to those that do not have a relationship with God or even really have any foundational knowledge of Him, that somehow they will just understand this verse, believe it, accept Jesus, and move on happily ever after. And obviously that is just not the case. After all, it is hard enough for those that do have a relationship with God to harness the power of God's Word and use it as God intended it to be used. And for this reason, it is important to start the foundation of what we need to know about God and what it is He has for us if we accept Him. And since this particular message is on heaven, we are going to investigate this inexplicable place, God's home. So let's dig deep and look at what it is God is promising it will be like in heaven in the same way we saw what God promised it will be like in hell. And our first glimpse of heaven comes from 1 Corinthians 2.9. As it is written, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. I think this is a very necessary place to start off because we have to understand, and just like hell, we just don't understand. We just don't get the vastness of this, and we don't understand because we have not experienced it. And if we have not experienced something, we generally have a very hard time getting any part of it. And our message makes that quite clear. Again, we have not seen the sights. We have not heard the worship and praise echoing through the realms of heaven. And we simply cannot imagine, and even with the aid of God's word, what it will even be like. This is especially critical for believers who run around telling others how amazing heaven is or will be. Yes, certainly we can assume and trust, but only from a viewpoint, a vantage point of zero understanding. I am certainly looking forward to heaven. I am looking forward to heaven first and foremost because I will be with the Lord, my God, my Savior. To me, that will be the most beautiful thing in all of heaven. Nothing, no, not one thing will be brighter and more spectacular than that of seeing God and Jesus fully. So hear this, God never asked us to sell heaven. And all too often, that is what Christians try to do. We try to sell the property and all the amenities of those who don't have a relationship with God and will end up in heaven. 
And once again, we loosely pull scripture verses out as our sales pitch. And those are often the streets of gold and many mansions or rooms that are being prepared for us. And the crowns of jewels that will be handed to us when we arrive for all the great things we have done because we are such godly people. Don't know about you, but that sounds very self-serving and very self-centered and like a true sales pitch. And that, unfortunately, is how the Word of God is proclaimed all too often. God never asked us to sell the amenities of heaven to somehow intrigue people to want to be there. No, we as believers, those who have been written in the Lamb's Book of Life, are to be ever so humble, simply doing one thing, telling others who do not have the promise of God, not the promise of heaven, what they must know and believe in order to spend eternity with God, not eternity in heaven. Heaven is a place. Heaven is a reward. God is the only reason and only purpose. Now, just so you don't twist anything I'm saying, I'm going to make sure I am very clear on my statement. In no way am I saying heaven isn't a great and real place, a wonderful place, a magnificent place, God's home. But the space and place of heaven cannot be the reason or the focus of our desire. Heaven must be the desire of our final destination but only because it is the place where we will be forever in the presence of God. Heaven is a benefit. God is the purpose. So when we describe, remember, only what we have read in God's Word, we don't have a clue what is in store for us. For me personally, I find it much easier to comprehend hell and the existence there than my experience ever could be in heaven. And a brief segue on that, we have a much better understanding of what it is like to suffer, get burned, weep, and live in agony, but none of us have ever experienced perfection. And so comprehending an existence in perfectness is truly impossible to fathom. Now let's continue and look at John 14:2, where we are told what Jesus is doing even now for those who will be living eternally with him. And the passage says, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? We are now getting closer to what it is we are to expect. Yes, expect. What we will receive when we arrive in heaven. God is preparing a place for each of us. An interesting contrast between heaven and hell is that the residents of hell are described as essentially being homeless within hell and will be living in a mass around a burning lake of fire and sulfur, while those in heaven will be given a private place, a room God will have prepared for us within heaven. I find it absolutely fascinating that even in heaven, God provides us with a custom space all of our own. It is ever so crazy to consider what this could even remotely look like in heaven. Again, seeing mass homelessness is not hard to comprehend, but a room that God is preparing for me in the realms of heaven is beyond comprehension. Back to our topic, and we are now going to take a brief glimpse of what heaven looks like through the eyes of the Apostle John, who received a revelation, as we will read from God's Word in Revelation, so that John might testify to the church and to us what is to come. Reading now Revelation 21, 21 through 25. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, transparent as glass. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. 
Well then, that's quite the description. Twelve gates, each made from a pearl. That's pretty incredible. That is certainly one massive pearl, but we just can't comprehend that either. We also can't comprehend streets of gold. The only thing I can comprehend are streets with holes. Yes, we get bad, but truly good is so far from our comprehension. Even brand new roads have lumps and bumps. But can you imagine driving on gold? Gold so refined and pure it is clear like glass. I can't imagine that. It almost seems ridiculous. But what we have to remember is God spares no expense for those he loves. Nothing is too good for his kids. Only the best will do. The best room, the best streets, the best place. But again, those things are the rewards. God is the focus. Keep in mind, just about everyone wants to go to heaven, but most don't want to get there through the Savior, Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man. Moving on, Revelation 22, 1 through 5. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. No, I don't get that. I can't comprehend that. Even trying to piece this together in my head and formulate this into a picture is just not possible. Going back a bit, as we talked about earlier, it's impossible because we have not experienced anything like this ever before. But just because we have never experienced it or something, and it seems impossible to comprehend, does not mean it is not reality and very true. I think going to outer space seems unreal, incomprehensible. I can't imagine what it must feel like and what it must truly look like to look down on Earth and walk on the moon. No photograph, not even video can make it more understandable. But that does not at all negate the fact that it is reality and if few have experienced it and seen it firsthand and then testified as to what they saw. And the same goes for the Apostle John, who witnessed something incredible and painted a beautiful and detailed word picture for us in Revelation. What's amazing is even if we would have had photos or video of what John saw, it would make it no more understandable than his verbal description. Isn't it interesting, however, that there are still some who do not believe we have ever gone into space and that the earth is not round and that all the experiences some have had with the reality of outer space is not enough to convince them of what has been revealed to them. Certainly the majority of the world would indeed say to someone who denies that we have gone into space and to the moon as being ignorant and out of touch with reality. And the only reason one would not believe the testimony from those who have been in outer space and walked on the moon is because they have not experienced it and therefore have deemed it not true. Their motto is, seeing is believing. And so it is with the majority of the world's population to this day as it pertains to God and heaven. Even though we have witnesses that have seen and been given the opportunity to go where no human has gone before and then testify to what he, John, saw, eliminates any possibility of its reality because we didn't experience it personally. 
Keep in mind, there are hundreds, if not thousands of things in your life you have not personally experienced, and yet you have full faith and confidence in as being real and true. Back to God's Word and a further look at what other rewards we are to expect besides our custom rooms. 2 Timothy 4.8 states, There is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all of you who have loved his appearing. Can you imagine that? You and I will be receiving a crown. It is, however, my full understanding that a crown is reserved only for royalty, those in power, those who are most honorable. But that is exactly how God sees us. We are heirs to the throne of God, sons and daughters, one with God, and all made possible through the pardoning of our sin through death. And this takes us to two additional unimaginable positions believers will participate in. 1 Corinthians 6, 2 through 3. Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? Now, without going into further detail of this very loaded passage, since we are only discussing the rewards of our being in heaven, it is clear that those in heaven will judge the world and angels. God, in some way, will put us in a position to judge both the world and angels. We see another example of this in Revelation 2.26. The one who conquers and who keeps my work until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. And God goes further in Revelation 3.21 and says, The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my Father on his throne. And these passages from God's Word definitely backs up 2 Timothy 4.8 as to just how honorable we all will be and how much power will be granted to us by God. And how can this be even remotely understood? It simply cannot be comprehended, but that does not make it any less real. Let's close with this and listen carefully. Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And this could sound like a contradiction to my earlier comments that it is not heaven we are to focus on, but rather God. But there is no contradiction, because this passage says clearly, store up for yourselves treasure in heaven. It does not say put your focus in heaven. Let's look at it this way. This is no different than having a safety deposit box at a bank or a safe in your home, or a secret hiding place for your valuables buried in a mountain. The vault is simply a place to keep what we have received those things of great value, and a place to keep them safe from the world, to enjoy later or at a specific time and place. And so it is with heaven. God is calling the believers to make heaven our vault, our storage facility for everything that is of real, true value. And that is God and God alone. Perhaps we can look at it this way as well. If your focus is always on heaven, we will be ultimately looking at what we will get when we get there all the stuff, our room, our gold streets, our crowns. But that focus sounds self-centered and misguided. It sounds just like how we live now. Look at what I have. Look at what I'm getting. 
And again, it is not focusing on the who and why we even have it in the first place. Who did indeed provide those earthly treasures for us? And who indeed is providing our treasure in heaven? So we see clearly that our sights are not to be set on the place, but on the true treasure. And again, I believe that true treasure is God himself, Jesus, our gift of salvation. And when I know that to be the only true treasure, an indescribable treasure, my heart will be in the right place because I know with confidence that the moth and rust and thieves will never be able to destroy or break in and steal that treasure. It is eternally secure in the vault of heaven. Another amazing thought is to know I too am secure in this great vault of God's. No one, absolutely no one, can destroy or steal me away from my security in Jesus and my eternal security in heaven. And that only leads to perfect peace. Where is your heart? Is this world your vault? Are you placing your trust in the world's security? Are you hiding your rewards here on earth? Are you always trying to make sure you collect more and always looking for new places to hide it? Is your identity hidden in this world? And if this is how you live, and this is where you store your treasure, this is where your heart will be also. And that only leads to perfect fear and misery. Where is your treasure? Let's pray. King of King and Lord of Lords, we come before you in gratitude and honor. We honor you as the way, the truth, and the life, and life eternal. We cannot understand the awesomeness of what you have in store for us. We cannot fathom what it will be like. But in the meantime, help us to remain very grounded in you. Help us not to get carried away with being so heavenly minded that we are no earthly good. Help us to be steadfast while you have us here and to do your work of spreading your word of truth and life to all who wish to hear. Thank you for your eternal promises and all you have done, are doing, and will do for those who have accepted you. Thank you for the pardon of our sin that we may receive the best eternal reward and that of being with you. We confess our wayward lives of the many things we hunt and store up for our earthly treasure that detract and dim your light in our lives, our focus on you. We confess that we so often miss your truth in our lives and fail to live out a life of obedience in order that we might allow you to live through us in all we do and say. And we now ask this and all of these things in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.